Hello everyone, and welcome back to the third edition of the Crimecasters with Drew and Caitlin. On this episode, we'll be discussing the case of Darlie Routier and the murder of her two sons. Viewer discretion is advised. But before we start this podcast, we're going to take a quick 30 second ad break. Are you looking for a great, fun podcast to listen to? Well, you might need to stay here, but then go check out the Felonious Files. The Felonious Files is brought to you by Colin Haley. They go over a wide variety of great murder mystery cases, and they make it fun, enjoyable, and it's a great overall listen. All information you'll be hearing in this podcast will be coming from Murderpedia and thefamelesspeoples.com. So, a little bit on the background of Darlie Lynn Peck Routier. She was born on January 4th, 1970 in Atluna, Pennsylvania. And some background on Atluna, Pennsylvania. Um, the chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime there is 1 in 45. And based on the FBI crime data, it's not one of the safest communities in America. And relative to Pennsylvania, Atluna has a crime rate that is higher than 88% of the state's cities and towns. And Atluna is the 11th most populous city in Pennsylvania. Darley's family is pretty normal. Her parents are Larry Peck and Darley Key. She has a sister named Danielle Fugate. They moved to Lubbock with her mother and stepfather when she was a teenager. Her mother then found work at a nearby restaurant where at the restaurant she found her eventual husband who was 17 at the time and his name was Darren Routier. Um, her and Darren ended up getting married on in August of 1988 and Darlie was the age of 18 so she was pretty young at the time. Yeah that's a little weird. And she attended high school at Monterey High School in Lubbock and graduated in 1988. Darren had been su- successful with a small business that tested electronic components at the time. And they bought a house together in Rowlett, which is a suburb in Dallas, Texas. They then went on to have <clears throat> three young boys named Devin Rush Routier, who he was the firstborn. He was born just less than half a, half a year later after their marriage on June 14, 1989. The second son, Damon Christian Routier, was born on February 19, 1991. And then the last one named Drake, who was the only survivor of the murders, who is still alive today, was born on October 18, 1995. So everyone in the family's name started with the same first initial. The names were Darlie, Darren, Drake, Devin, and Damon. The family definitely seemed to be a lot better on the outside than from the inn. They were reported to live like a very lavish lifestyle, like spending a lot of money. They spent up to around $500,000 a year. Uh, <clears throat> in 1982, they bought a nice Jaguar car and then a 30-foot cabin cruiser, which is basically just a yacht. Uh, Darley spent a lot of money on flashy jewelry and a lot of uh, different body-changing surgeries at the time. So Darren's job was very... He brought in a lot of money, but the family spent more money, and people knew that. They spent more money than what they really had, and people from the outside could see that. Yeah, they, a lot of people definitely knew that they were not be or not able to keep up with what they were spending. 
Yeah, he um, tested circuit boards, and he became really successful within a few years. And they lived in a very upscale home, and they had a fountain in the front and a hot tub in the back. And families that saw them knew that they were spending way more than what they had and that they were living well beyond their means. Although people knew that, they were still a very friendly <clears throat> friendly family in the neighborhood. They they made food for different people. They helped with a cancer patient, donated money, and like with their house payments that they obviously didn't have money for, but it was still a nice thing to do. Uh, their lives ended up changing because Darren's business started going pretty downhill pretty fast, and the family tried to apply for loans and tried to get more money, but they were obviously denied because of their financial situation, which was not it at the time. And Darlie didn't really work. She just kind of went off what Darren made because he had made so much before. So when the business started going downhill, the family really started to struggle because they had no other income except for him. Um, behind their mortgage on their house, they owed like $10,000 in taxes and even like 12000 on credit cards, which was probably due to those body-changing surgeries of Darley's. Yeah, and they really had no way to pay this back due to not having another income. And the couple also had marital issues leading up to the incident, and families from well, around... Definitely. The financial issues is probably a main reason for marriage problems. And, like, other families around the community couldn't really tell that this was happening because they seemed like such a good family. But from the inside, there was a lot of issues going on between money and family issues and things like that. After the murders had come out, there was like a note found from Darley talking about how that she contemplated suicide at a time. And in the note, she was writing to her children. It was in her diary. It basically was from her asking her to, uh, to her children to forgive her and to not blame herself, blame themselves for her death, but obviously that didn't end out the way that she wanted. Yeah, and a lot of people speculate that the reason Darley killed her children was just because of issues in the family, and they were preventing her from living the lifestyle she had once lived before because they had to find more and more money to be able to raise them, and they just didn't have the money at the time due to not having an income. Gold digger. Now for the main crime. Darley killed two people, being her sons, on June 6, 1996. Her sons that she killed were Damon, who was five at the time, and the oldest, Devin, who was six. Her husband says that he went to bed and that the kids were laying on the couch with their mother watching a television show like any other night. It was pretty normal. The youngest one, Drake, was sleeping with him at the time because he was still an infant. Yeah, pretty normal family things. And then Darley says that she slept through the attack and only awoke to see the intruder leave the house. However, this did not go along with her future story because she says that her neck was wounded and it actually, the cut on her neck was two millimeters away from her carotid artery. So there's no way that she would have just awoken because she heard the intruder leave that would have woken someone up pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, obviously getting a pretty nasty stab in the neck probably wouldn't be too nice to wake up to. Um, she testified later in court that an intruder broke in <clears throat> and were, was the person that killed her children. She also said she had been stabbed and then escaped through the garage. 
her husband and her other son Drake, who was an infant, they were asleep upstairs, like we said, and they slept through the attack and were not harmed. But when they came downstairs, um, Darren, the husband, saw his two children laying on the floor. One of them was facing the wall and the other was just laying on the floor. The one was still slightly breathing and the other one was not. Uh, the police said that she killed the boys because she saw them as a burden, like how we talked about before with their money and lifestyle, and that they interfered with, interfered with what she was wanting to live like, and which is a pretty messed up thing because, like, it's your kids. I don't know how you would, how yeah. psychotic you have to be to do that. And her husband said that he was awakened by her screams from downstairs. And he made a very drastic decision to tr- um, which son to try to resuscitate, and he chose the son that was still breathing at the time. Darley called 911 saying that there was a knife on the floor, and the 911 operator told her not to touch the knife and leave it where it was for, like, fingerprint stuff. But Routier replied that she had already touched the knife and picked it up, so she kind of tried to, like... Uh, Play it off? Yeah, play it off as if, well, I accidentally already touched it, so that's why my fingerprints are on it, so it wouldn't look like she was the one with carrying it in the first place. Yeah, and after her neck had been cut and her two children were killed, I'm not really sure why you would walk over and pick up the knife lying on the floor knowing that it's going to be incriminating in the investigation. It's just a pretty normal thing. That- I'd say that'd be pretty tough to do. Yeah, I'm not sure why anyone would want to walk over and just pick up the murder weapon on the ground. Yeah, Tom Bevel, who is a blood spatter expert, had testified in court that cast-off blood found on the back of Darley's shirt showed that she had to have, like, raised the knife above her head uh, after she had stabbed each boy in order to stab them each again. So, like, like, repeatedly going up and down over her head and onto the boy's which is how, like, the blood would have had to get on the back of her shirt. Yeah, there's really no other way the blood would have ended up on the back of her shirt unless this had happened. And this blood spatter um, expert, Tom Bevel, he really kind of sealed the deal on the case because there's really no other way the blood would have gotten on the back of her shirt. Mm -hmm. There was also bloody footprints that had been found underneath a vacuum cleaner and some broken glass. This... Uh, these footprints show that the items had to be, like, placed over the blood because the blood couldn't have gotten under them. And uh, the and items had been placed there whenever she went through the kitchen instead of before, like, a break-in would have had to be because the blood would have gotten there and then the items would be placed over it. Yeah, and the glass was, like, in the middle of the floor and there were bloody footprints through the glass. And Darley says that she walked through it and that's why there was bloody footprints. But when they inspected... Or when they looked over Darley at the crime scene, there was absolutely no cuts on her feet, and there's really no way she would have been able to walk through all that glass and not cut her um, feet even once. And then also, because they lived the lifestyle they did, they had a lot of expensive things in their house. Although they were going through financial issues, they still they didn't really sell anything. So Darley's purse was laying on the counter, and it had a lot of like money, expensive jewelry was up there. All this expensive stuff was laying around the house and none of it was stolen, none of it was taken. And even if an intruder had killed them, they would have still, if they walked in for money, they would have taken 
all this expensive jewelry just laying on the counters around the house. I don't know what the motive would have had to be for them to just walk in and kill two little boys. Yeah, there's really no motive behind that except for wanting to steal things, and there's no way that he would have just walked past all this stuff laying on the counters. There was necklaces, diamonds laying around the house, and nothing was taken. So after all that information, it's just crazy that just eight days later, newscasters appeared at the gravesite of the boys that were that were killed uh darley and her family were found at the gravesite holding a birthday party for the oldest one devin who would have been who would have turned seven at the time uh darley was seen like smiling and laughing and like she looked like she was having a pretty good time and she was actually spraying like the silly string the cool stuff that you have at birthday parties like on the graves and it was like supposed to be kind of like a celebration but like it's just crazy that your sons died and you're kind of doing that to their gravesite. Like, it's obviously... Yeah, like... Looks like she doesn't care. Like, I understand people wanting to have, like, celebrations that... Like, for birthdays and stuff and, like, celebrations of life and everything, but, like... It, it was just, it was just like, a week later that this had happened. Yeah, it's, it was only eight days after her son was murdered in her house that she's at a gravesite for him spraying silly string and laughing and decorating it and, like, celebrating it. And then four days after this and the videos were released of her at the gravesite doing all this, she was um, charged with capital murder, which is pretty crazy because just eight days or just four days ago, she was at the gravesite of her um, dead son celebrating his birthday and now she's in jail for capital murder. Yeah, that's a great place to lead into talking about the trial and the conviction conviction of Darley. So during the trial, Darley was portrayed as a woman who wasn't able to cope with the debt that her family was um, uh, mounting on and losing her very insane and uh, lavish lifestyle that she wanted to live. The uh, court built a case on the perception that she murdered her kids because of the financial issues and marriage problems and not being able to, of course, live that lifestyle she really wanted. Uh, she was tried for murder of Damon because at the time he was under six, which meant she was able to be tried for capital murder, and it was a lot worse than like somebody a little bit older. Yeah, usually kids, they usually take a little bit more seriously, and that's where capital murder can kind of be like put into place there when it's a child. Um, Toby Shook and Greg Davis suggested that the crime scene was staged and that she had set everything up like we discussed earlier with the glass and the footprints. And then James Cron, who was a crime scene consultant, who's like a really important person in the case, had supported those guys' claims. Who Those guys were investigators at the crime scene and stuff like that. He had supported their claim, which was really important for them. And an argument was made that there was no motive or <clears throat> reason for Darley to kill them by like the other the uh, people defending Darley. Because they didn't think there was a motive, they didn't think the financial issues was enough, and that they didn't think that she had a reason to kill them. Who That was made by Douglas Mulder, who was uh, representing Darley at the time. Douglas also argued that the prosecution did not have enough evidence, because without a motive, with such little evidence, it was basically just the blood spatter on the back of her shirt, 
that was basically like a, kind of the only evidence that they had against her, and they didn't really have a motive or a confession or a witness or anything like that. So he didn't think that was enough to convict her of the murders. Yeah, because her husband was asleep upstairs, there was no one else around to see what had happened. And he had just come down and saw the crime scene, so he really had no idea what had went on. But the blood spatter really does kind of tell a tale of what happened because mm-hmm. there's really no other way that that blood spatter would have gone on the back of her shirt. Although her statement was kind of shaky, uh, they still believe that there wasn't enough, but I think the blood splatter was definitely a really important piece. Yeah, and how much she lied during it and how much it like came back and like people could tell that it wasn't, that she was making things up, especially with the way the crime scene was set up and everything. And then Darley took Stan as a witness, although she was warned not to by everyone. And Darley's neck injuries were a large argument whether not they had been self-inflicted or she had actually been attacked at the crime scene. The chief medical examiner named Vincent DiMaio argued that they had not looked any like anything like self-inflicted wounds that he had ever seen before. But, I mean, it's still possible that she was able to do that even though... It's pretty insane that you would just stab yourself in the neck like that. Yeah, because the wound was so, like, it was so close to killing her. It's just insane that she would have done that. I mean, it was only two millimeters away from the Um, artery that leads to your brain. I mean, you never know. Like, with what we talked about earlier, it could have very possibly been a suicide attempt. Like, Yeah, that's true. Maybe, like, she wanted to take the boys with her, which is kind of a creepy thing, but, like... Yeah, and then it just didn't work, so she had to find a way to cover it up quickly. Mm-hmm. The jurors at the crime were, or at the the uh, case, yeah, at the case, they were not shown any pictures of the wounds or anything like that, which was probably kind of important. Like maybe they should have been, but the blood evidence from her night shift or from her night shirt was too much for. The jurors and they ended up finding her guilty on February fourth, nineteen ninety seven, and she was sentenced to death by lethal injection. So, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And then for the past twenty years, she has been held at Mountain View Unit in Texas. And then another part that we skipped to was that the physicians at the Baylor University Medical Center who treated her that night said that the wounds could have been self-inflicted and that was coming from doctors that had actually seen so, yeah, the wounds. It, it was basically like doctors that had treated her versus like a chief medical inspector. So like the argument was pretty clear and like people were taking sides and stuff like that. Yeah, I would trust the doctor that treated her <laughs> over anybody else. So now more post-trial kind of stuff. Uh, Darren, who was the father, had lost Drake. Drake was the youngest son who was an infant at the time and still still alive. He had lost custody to Drake because of Darren actually supported Darley during the trial, which I don't know, maybe he just he trusted her, he believed her, so he ended up losing Drake uh Drake's custody to his parents. Darren and Darley divorced in September of 2011, which that's a crazy fact. Yeah. Like that's almost like 20, 30 years after it happened. Yeah, so and he, he stayed just, with her through all this. And then, since then, Darren has married again. And J. Stephen Cooper was hired post-conviction for Routier and argued mistakes were made during the trial and investigation. The Those, al- or those argued mistakes were pretty much turned down immediately. Like, people knew it was her. People knew she was obviously the one that did it. And even after so many years like there was no 
evidence that could have proved anything else. It's time for a guest star, Nick Moth. So just to start off with a few questions, do you think the blood spatter on the back of her shirt was enough evidence to convict her? Yeah, dude, there's really no other way the blood could have ended up on the back of her shirt unless she did it. Do you think she should have been charged with capital murder? Yeah, because she, she killed two young kids and because they were her sons. After hearing the full story and listening to our podcast, do you think she murdered them or do you think someone broke in like she had said? I think she killed them. The blood spatter and the other evidence like the glasses and nothing being stolen also makes it pretty obvious it was her. So wrapping up the case, we just kind of leave with her and everybody else's opinions kind of that she was definitely the one that killed her sons and that no one actually broke in and that there's all the evidence really points to it being her and that there was really no other option for it to be her. Yep. And that about ends it. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Crimecasters. Catch you on the next episode.